0: Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. In today's episode, we've got Denny Heiberg, Cindy Perkins, Dan Lights, and more from the Bonhoeffer Project team. This is track session number three, taken from the 2021 National Disciple Making Forum, and the title of the episode is The Narrow Road. They took some pretty hard questions from the audience during this session, like, what do you do when someone you're discipling just isn't getting it? When do you walk away? Do you walk away? And this is a great reminder that making disciples is the most honorable calling to have on your life, but it's not all sunshine and rainbows, and the Bonhoeffer Project does a great job of preparing us for those hard moments like that. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and jump in. Let's get things kicked off with Denny Heiberg. He is the Director of International Representatives for the Bonhoeffer Project. Here we go.
1: One of the core concepts of the Bonhoeffer Project is that we take a look at the gospel that, that Jesus preached, as we say, upstream, back at the headwaters of this discipleship river, this analogy of going through life, becoming more like Jesus, we need to go back to the very headwaters or the spring where, where we get this message. And that is the, the Holy Scriptures, the gospel. And so the gospel that we have been taught and believe and then pass on to somebody else determines naturally the kind of disciple that we will make. If we have a, a legalistic gospel, we will make legalistic disciples. If we plant a, an orange seed in the ground, we're going to have an orange tree. And so, like you said, it's simple But that is what has turned our heads and changed our lives in so many cases of people in this room. And uh, my name is Denny Heiberg, and I've been a part of this organization since, uh, since 2014, as it was beginning to be birthed. And I've had the privilege of not only being a participant, but also being a leader of a cohort, which is a small group of men and women that are going through a process of Experiencing what is it like to become a disciple maker who changes the culture and context of where they're serving? And we you'll learn more about this at the at the closing of our, our time here in this first session today. But all of us have a ministry context. And so whether it's within a church or whether it's in a community, our own families, etc., wherever you find yourself. Where God has placed you, you have a ministry context, and we want to help you change the culture of that context so that discipleship is just simply natural. It's just a part of our, our, our being. And so uh, we hope that today that you will uh, not only learn more about uh, who we are and how we might come alongside you, but what God has to say to, to all of us. So let's, let's pause and just give thanks for another beautiful day. And uh, then we'll, we'll launch into today's session, all right? Father, we, we uh, acknowledge your presence among us. Thank you for the rest that you've given us. Thank you for those who made it possible for us to be here. And thank you for all the work that has gone on behind the scenes for months and months and months. And what a joy it is to be able to gather in the same space with the same heart And the same mission of following you to become more like you, Jesus, as we we desire to take this message of of the cost of discipleship and multiplying disciples and take that message personally and powerfully across our, our sphere of influence. And so we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Use us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I would like to invite you to uh, get a hold of a Bible somehow, whether it's on your phone or in your briefcase. And as you're doing that, I want you to open to the book of John. But I want to ask you a question as you're, you're getting that ready. I want you to think of someone in your life, that you would say there is no doubt that they are an authentic disciple. I I have seen it, or perhaps you've never seen them personally but you have read who they are and read read their teachings and so forth. But you would say to yourself, that person is an authentic disciple without any doubt. I want you to kind of picture their face, uh, their name, what, whatever, in, in, your, in your mind, okay, as you, as you open the Bible to uh, the book of John. Okay, now, here's, I want you to respond to me. What is, what is one of the qualities, the characteristics, the attributes of that person that, that makes them, puts them in that category of being an authentic disciple? Let me hear from you. Humility, Humility. thank you, sir. Teachability. Teachability. Steadfastness, okay? Obedience. Obedience. Christlikeness, personal holiness. Good, good. likeness and personal holiness. Love. 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 Good. Allegiance. Allegiance. I love it. Knows the word. That's a great transition to where we're going. Okay? Wouldn't it be nice if, if Jesus gave us a list of of attributes of an authentic disciple. Would, that would make it a little bit easier because we seem to have confusion. Because, brothers and sisters, my, my experience is if I were to walk into a church and uh, have the privilege of speaking to them, and if I said, uh, how many of you would say this morning uh, with, with, with genuine humility, but by the grace of God that you are a Christian, I think most people would be able to raise their hands. But if I were to preface, uh, preface the next question with the same intro, uh, with genuine humility and by the grace of God, how many would, of you would call yourselves disciples? I have a hunch that they would. there would be a little hesitation because of confusion, right? And what's wrong with that picture? The Bible indicates that that disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So they should be one and the same, but they're not, unfortunately, in our culture. So wouldn't it be nice if Jesus gave us a, an outline of what an authentic disciple is, and he has in the book of John. So I want you to, there's three, just three uh, areas that I want us to cover real quick this morning. It's in John 8:31, is the first one. John 8.31. These are verses that you should own. That you, you need to know where they are, you need to know the context. These are authentic believers and who are called disciples. Okay? In in John 8.31 it says. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, the Jews who believed in him, he said this, You are truly, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Some of your translations say if you, what, abide or remain in my word. It's the same word in in the original language, the Greek language, as, as in John 15 where he talks about abide in me. And I will abide in you. That, that's an intimate, it's an intimate word. It's more than just head knowledge. He wants us to be faithful to his teachings. Then you are truly my disciple. And what's, what's the, the next verse say? And you will know the truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, so that's one. Being remaining in God's Word, being obedient to His Word. Let's take a look at John 13. That's the next one in the upper room. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said to His, his students that evening, Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will show, will prove, there are a number of ways to say this, but that you, you are truly my disciples, that we should love one another. Now, I don't know about you, but in my experience, it's sometimes tougher to love other Christians than it is people in the world. Would you, would you agree sometimes? but he's saying that we need to love each other. He's speaking to his disciples. That We need to have the kind of love that he has for us. So another, another quali- quality of an authentic disciple is that we not only are, remain in his word, abide in his word, be fed by his word, be transformed by his word, but we also need to love one another. And then let's look at John fifteen eight. In John 15, we have that, that familiar conversation or monologue by Jesus about the vine and the branches, and he begins with no fruit, and then he talks about fruit, and then he talks about more fruit, and then finally in verse 8, he says, would one of you read it for me, please, nice and loud? Go ahead.
2: By this my father is glorified by very much fruit and so prove to be my disciples.
1: You will prove to be my disciples and my father will be glorified if you produce much fruit. It's an exponential. We were we were born to multiply. And you're going to hear a little bit more about that in this session as well. So just the three that... that uh, that Jesus has mentioned, abiding in his word, loving one another, and bearing much fruit, the fruit of our character, the fruit of our discipline, the fruit of other disciples. Those are three qualifications and characteristics that that Jesus gives us uh, in, in his scriptures to describe an authentic disciple, but there is a cost to that. There is a cost to that. We have a a mantra here in the Bonhoeffer Project that says this. We believe that Jesus and his disciples proclaimed a message that says, it could be paraphrased this way, summarized in this way, all who are called to salvation are also called to discipleship and no one is exempt. It's for all of us. There's this expectation, and you might call that the narrow road, because the reality is, brothers and sisters, not everybody not everybody becomes a disciple who makes other disciples. They, there's this toxic gospel that exists in our culture that says you can become a Christian without following Jesus. And unfortunately, we have taken that, that toxic gospel and we have shared it with our brothers and sisters around the globe. And in my brief experience of being uh, engaged in cross-cultural ministry for about the last 12 years, I found it in every context. It is in every context that I've been to. And so we have to, we have to go back to the gospel, back to the headwaters and say, what was the gospel that Jesus proclaimed? And we realize that it's not only about repenting and believing in the gospel of, of God, but it's also about following, in other words, discipleship, becoming more like Jesus. Let me read to you the, uh, the scripture in, in Matthew chapter seven, Be, uh, ch- chapter seven, uh, verses 13 and 14. Matthew seven, 13 and 14, it goes like this. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for, the, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. But, verse 14, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Discipleship is the, is the narrow road. I read this in the, the Message Translation. Are you all familiar with the message translation? It's a it's a paraphrase written years ago by Eugene Peterson. Listen to how he puts it. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easy going formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do fall for it. The way to life, the way to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. That sounds like work. It sounds like effort, doesn't it? Does it take effort to follow Jesus? One of the the truths that I learned from Dallas Willard years ago has stuck with me, and I I hope it's a game changer for you. I'm sorry? Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. You see, earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't say for God so loved the world that he said he did? But God so loved the world that he what? He acted, (laughs) there was effort involved, there was action, there was fruit, there was proof that he loves us. And so grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning because earning is an attitude, and we can't earn anything righteous. But but grace is is a, is an action. Effort is an action. So uh, there is a cost to it, and I want you to turn now to Luke nine twenty three. Luke nine twenty three. As we we reflect about the cost of of discipleship and the narrow road, Uh, Jesus says that we're to to deny ourselves, to to put aside our self-centered desires, what our culture says is successful, and we need to focus on God, on his will, and we need to be focusing on others. One of, the, one of the things I really appreciated when I got into the Bonhoeffer Project is that, that it's not just about me and Jesus. Am I all right with him? But how am I doing living out my faith, living out my, my discipleship? How am I doing that with other people? How am I living out serving and loving the people that he's already brought into my life? And that was a... That was another game changer for me. That it's not just about me and Jesus. It's about how I'm living that out because Jesus was a man for others. So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We identify with who Christ is in all its fullness, and all its consequences. What it really means to, to suffer for him and identify with him. And then it says, follow me. Now, The way I like to unpack that is simply this, that he's called us to follow him in allegiance to his authority. My relationship with him is at the top of any other any other relationship that I have. Family, friends, he is above that and he influences all of those. So my allegiance to his authority as king, I acknowledge him as king. And then in obedience to his commands. Allegiance and obedience. That's what it really means to follow Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without, do you know the last word? Christ. It's a narrow road. And so, Cindy, why don't you come on down, or come on up here, rather, and help us to kind of flesh this out. What's this narrow road look like day by day?
3: Thanks, Denny. I, um, I, I've had a lot of experience with um, trying to help people get on the narrow road. and I don't know about you guys, but my experience has been that people in America, as Americans particularly, we don't want to be told what to do. Anybody? Don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me, right? And so, you, you guys have people like that? Do they tell you that to your face or is it just behind your back, right? Because they're saying it, it just depends on where. But the difficulty comes when we start asking, when we make the hard ask of them to be obedient to the commands of Christ. That's Jesus telling us what to do. And as much as we fight against our human authority, we also have a tendency to fight against the authority of Christ. And so what happens then is people say, well, that's not for me. And as Denny said, all who are called to salvation are called to discipleship. No exceptions, no excuses. How many of you have heard excuses why we won't disciple? right so we we look at that and we think about how do we get past that excuse right there's only going to be a remnant who will do this with you and probably the most disappointing thing for me as a pastor was when i would invite people into this relationship of obedience to christ and they would tell me no or they would start and then they would walk away and my heart just breaks because I know what they're missing, right? I know what they're missing.
0: Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the discipleship.org collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories, then we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got eBooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website. It's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today.
3: And so we're going to have a conversation, if my panelists could come on up, we're going to have a conversation um, today with with uh, some of the guys from our, men and women from our team. And I want us to just talk about some of the things that, um, that we get for excuses and how we combat those excuses. There's, there is, I mean, I love the scriptures that Denny pulls out of there because authentic discipleship has to be where we live. It has to be where we live. And we have to figure out as leaders How am I going to engage and how am I going to respond to those who say no? What do I do with that, right? So I am going to introduce them to you, and then I'm going to ask them a question, and we'll go down the the line. This is Carmelita Boyce. She is our women's director, so we have uh, women-only cohorts, and she uh, helps oversee that. Um, Joy and Tony Waller are our regional representatives in the North Georgia, North and South Carolina area, and uh, both lead cohorts, and Kenny Sexton is our regional rep in South Georgia. I'm always a little afraid to give Kenny the microphone, just just for the record. I'm going on the record with that.
4: <laughs>
3: oh, no. So here we go. Kenny, behave. Okay, Um, (laughs) we like to have fun because you don't have to be always serious to be an authentic disciple of Christ, right? So my first question, what keeps the people in your context from engaging in discipleship? In other words, what are the excuses you've heard?
5: Um, Time is usually an excuse. Yeah. Commitment. Mm.
6: It's more than a six-week, eight-week course. So people having to think that through readjust their
2: lives i think learning that um, when when they hear that it's a long-term commitment they go wait a minute i'm 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 used to a six-week bible study so can i just get it quickly because everything in our life is a fast instance so can i be a mature christian in six weeks
3: can we can yep. we be a mature Christian in six weeks? So
2: you can't microwave it. <laughs> <be right?
7: Yes. laughs> Dog, I've got it all wrong. Um, my, my So I'm in South Georgia and I, I feel like for me when I thought about this and, and time I agree and then commitment all that, for me in my context, I think the biggest thing is fear of relationships. Mm. And let, let, me, let me define that a little bit for you. Um, I know we've all been in a group where you become vulnerable mm. and it goes here. And it goes there. Mm. And I think that's, and so my mantra that I keep saying in my groups, and we kind of define what this group is going to be and give our ground rules, is in my context, again, it may not be yours, so just forgive me, but it's everyone wants to know your business, but they don't want to know you. Mm. <laughs> that's good. But even in that, you've got to realize that Jesus even had Judas. And so there's going to be somebody that's going to disappoint you, going to let you down, going to speak. But you try to set those ground rules. But I think it's the fear of relationship because we haven't really had this. So you're growing in maturity. So when we're vulnerable, there's got to be a level of maturity in there that we go, we have it here, and now we pray and confess, right? And I, I think that's, that's the biggest hindrance for me is, man, I've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, got a scar. I'm not doing that again. Instead, we've got to kind of come out with open hands and learn how to live and learn.
5: You can say one the other one that I get a lot is that they don't know what discipleship is. So yeah. I don't know what it is, and I don't know what it's going to tell, right. so I don't want to be a part of it, either discipling or being a disciple. Yeah,
3: Yeah. so we have to de-weird it, right? We have to explain <laughs> to them,
7: right? De-weird. 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 de-weird it.
3: Right? Because it is weird sometimes if you've never been in that relationship That's right. Eugene Peterson said that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. And that when I read that a couple of years ago, that just stuck with me, a long obedience in the same direction. It's just the long journey, and we cannot make it fast, which means that it's so countercultural to what we're doing in the rest of life that it just doesn't seem to make sense to people, which is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the bunch that doesn't make sense to people. And so if you're making sense to the people around you, you should probably do a self-check, figure out why, right? Just figure out why you're making sense to people. But it's so important that we, we do that. And I agree, Kenny, relationships, We and, and the longer we go in this culture, the less we know about how to make relationships. And my day job uh, when I'm not doing Bonhoeffer stuff, I teach at a college. And I am amazed at how difficult it is for them to enter into, for college students to enter into any kind of relationship with anybody. So I teach business classes, but really what I'm teaching them is how to have a relationship with other people, right? Because And, and how to have a relationship with Christ. And so if we can't have relationship with the people in front of us, it's going to be really difficult for us to help people figure out how to have a relationship with a God that they can't see. So it's important for us to to de-weird that, to bring that into that place, right? And and help them understand what it is. I was not discipled when I was young and first came to Christ, and that was a problem. But we engage and we, we just begin to, sooner or later, the Holy Spirit is just gonna knock them down and they're gonna have to do something, right? That's what I pray, Lord, Slap them hard, just like you did me, right? I mean, seriously, slap them hard, because that's we are hard-headed bunch. And so we, we need to be ready to receive that. And I, I don't think we should be the slapper harders, right? I think we need to let the Holy Spirit do that. But I think we can surely pray that God will, will dig deep into their hearts. Okay, second question. So we talk a lot about, uh, in the Bonhoeffer Project, we talk a lot about fourth soilers, right? Those people who are maturing, who are, are stepping in. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear me say, that uh, new believers don't need to be discipled. Absolutely, new believers need to be discipled, but they're not hard, right? They're, they're all in, they're ready to go. Give me what you got, right? So, so we don't have a trouble with new believers. The ones we have trouble discipling, are those who think they know everything. I've already got it. I've already figured it out. So I don't need you. Uh, are, Are you presuming that you know more about Faith Walk than I do? No. I'm just saying we need to walk along together and we need to engage this. But we talk a lot about Fourth Soilers and how we can identify those people who are ready for deep walk, mature discipleship. So my question for you guys is how do you identify soilers in your context what do you do you have a process that you do how do you identify those people that are ready or not
5: <laughs> um for me I I work with women so first of all we talk about fat and that doesn't go well with the women like at <laughs> all but but fat stands for faithful available and teachable so are they faithful are they there every week or 80 I put tell them me are they there 80% of the time Are they available? If you ask them to do something, do they go, oh, no, I don't have time for that. If they don't have time to do this, they don't have time to do anything else either. So are they available? And then are they teachable? Are they willing to go, I might not know everything, so maybe there's something more that I need to learn. And so from there, um, I train my leaders on how to spot people like that, and then they get to sit down with me. And um, I ask a lot of questions, and they're not, How's your, how was your day? They are, um, one of the questions that I ask them, if they're coming onto my leadership team especially, is, um, do you have, do you have, is there a sin issue that would keep you from leading? And they have to answer that. If they, if they are, and I know that's a bold question, I know, I ask those questions, that's me. Um, but most people, all of them answer it. And I've had some that said yes. And so we deal with that, and we walk them through what does that look like to get that sin out of your life so you can be in, in leadership.
6: I'm not quite sure how to follow that one. She kind of summed it all up. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so my context has shifted a little bit, but my prior context was also in a church. Now, I did not lead women's ministry, but I began to walk along in life, and I'll just say this, prayer just permeates all of it. Mm-hmm. The disciple-making process. God, who, where are you working? Who are the people that you're leading? God, who do you want me to talk to today? God, who are you bringing into my life? And then taking as as Denny shared earlier, the attributes of a disciple. As Carm shared the FAT acronym. Where are those that are faithful? What am I seeing in their lives? Where are those that are teachable? give you a couple of examples, and, and as Cindy also shared, sometimes those who we call our four soilers, those who are ready, those who are desiring more, may not be those in the higher levels of leadership and position. Um, one lady, she doesn't, God created her uniquely, and reading big, thick books is not part of her giftedness, but she'll listen, she'll read her Bible She's very teachable, humble. And then her husband, very teachable, humble, faithful people, presented to her. And I'll tell you this, sometimes people don't want to know what's the whole big plan. They're watching your life and saying, I want what you have. So this lady said, okay, I'll come in. I'll join. And she would say, Joy, help me understand. Help me understand so eventually she led her group of women. And then her husband was leading his group of men after they've already been through discipling groups. And we're still staying connected. And then they start leading a group in couples and families. And they're discipling their children, so there's all these spaces, and there's a poor soldier. I'm going to take another minute and share one other example. Um, a lady, paraprofessional, eventually became the receptionist. She answered the phone at the church. And invited her into a group, into a space of experiencing discipleship, experiencing growing and being transformed, leading these people into the word. She told me later, she said, when I first said yes toward your group, she said, I I never intended to reproduce because, see... It doesn't stop with us. It doesn't stop with the people we lead. It has to continue. She said, I never intended. And when she first started coming to our group, she brought her children's Bible. Not an illustrated, but a very basic children's Bible because she worked with children. And over the course of many months, she began to read more and more. And she's growing and living it out in obedience She comes to our group one day and she says, look what I've got. And she has a study Bible. Mm. And then I begin to hear how she will sit on the sofa in the evening with her husband, who is the maintenance over maintenance of the church. And she began to share. She would say to him, look at this. I never knew. I never knew. Let me tell you this. And by the time she got to Paul, I mean, she was like, we called her our um, modern day Paul because she's off telling everybody about Jesus, and eventually her husband he said, "I want what she's got," mm-hmm. and so so it connects, and you're just looking for those people, and God identifies,
2: echoing what Karm said. Look, looking for those who are faithful, available, teachable, and then also joy. Uh, Jesus prayed all night and and then went out and picked the 12. So um, I want to tell you about a man also named Tony. Tony is in in his um, mid-60s, grew up in in the church. He's done everything but preach in the church. And so he's faithful, available, teachable. And so about our third weekend, he said, you know, he said, I've been playing church Mm -hmm. all my life so God did a, a great work in him because he was faithful, available, and teachable. That's
7: good. All of that's really good. Thank I you. think prayer is, is the, the key ingredient. You're praying for who, who it is in your group that God impress on my spirit who you want me to, to look to because we can look for the wrong people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote down a couple of things for me. was like, Who's hot? Uh, who, who got saved and didn't get over it? Right. I mean, the, you, you just. I mean, you can't contain them. I mean, I, I'm looking at the woman at the well. I mean, she left there and went back to her community, and man, everything changed. Right. So who's hot? Who who got saved and didn't get over it in, in that that part of it? Um, who's hungry? Who's hungry? Who can't get enough of the word? Or uh, who can't get enough of worship? Who can't get enough of relationship? Who can't get enough of witness? And I think I think I'm looking at that as well. And then then we've already mentioned it. Uh, who's humble? Um, and, and I just I thought about that just to say who is there that's not not looking to build their kingdom. Who's there to, to really look at building the kingdom of God? And so I'm, I'm thinking about the guy in my church, and his name's Dion. Dion was uh, I, I just went to my church about a year and a half ago, so I I'm I'm in there right in the beginning of COVID season. So you know how those relationships work, right? Um, but he, he called me up and uh, I'm the new guy on the block and, and he's been in this church since he was, you know, he was nine months in the womb when he got there, right? Um, but his life was a wreck. Um, before I got there, his marriage was just about to fall apart. He was about to have a divorce. Things like that were happening. Uh, behind the scenes and we we just chatted for about three hours um you know gina was wondering if i was coming home that night but uh we we chatted for about three hours and so about five months later i don't know what it was it it was a relationship just kind of talking to him him talking to other people clicked all of a sudden it was like this whole jesus thing i i get it and and he drove a stake in the ground he said i know i've been saved when i was about 12 years old i know it he said, "But this means more to me now. I'm driving a stake in the ground, and this, i just want to get, you know, rebaptized." And so we did. As soon as he got baptized, from the meantime, he's he's told thirty, like thirty people. They've invited thirty people to church. We've had several families come stick. Uh, he's coming on Thursday nights to a D group. Uh, so we're we're training him, teaching him, really just unleashing him, letting him be part of this, so he can now go tell other people. But he would have been the one that I would say would not be a foresoiler. Mm-hmm. He was a surprise, mm-hmm. right? And so, it, it, but, but he's hungry. He can't get enough. He texts me, hey, man, I'm at work. And, hey, um, got this question that came up. Hey, what do what, what we think about this? And then by the time I get back with him, they've already figured it out. He's already gone on his, his, his app, and he's, he's looked in the Bible and, and found it all out. But I think that's it, man. He, he's hot. Mm-hmm. He's hungry. Um, and so just trying to, and, and the other guys, I mean, here's what's so cool about it, is other guys in the group that he's leading um, on Sunday mornings is that there are other guys that want to walk, walk alongside of him and says, I got to get around him because he's hot. I, I want to get, I, I want what he has because he's hot. And so by doing that, many other people now, just because of, of how he's carrying his life and this fruit that you're seeing, right. others want what, what he has.
3: So one last quick question, we talk about the narrow road, we know that there are some that aren't going to come, what do you guys do with the people who won't come along?
5: I was thinking about this question and I thought, you know, there's two different reasons why people don't come along. And the first one is usually that they just don't know. We talked about that. They just don't understand what discipleship is. So that's an education issue. I can I can talk to that. I can deal with that. Um, and then there's others that they know and they still don't want to come along. And we just have to pray. Like let, like you said, let the Holy Spirit get a hold of them and do what he's going to do um, I, I don't know anything else. You guys are wiser. So. <laughs> Pray,
6: love them, and model mm-hmm. the life of a disciple maker. Because God, the Holy Spirit draws people. And it, I tell ladies sometimes that they say, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know what? Let's keep talking. I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. Look at your life. Mm-hmm. See how you want to, you know, what adjustments you need to make. Because sometimes it takes time but just always look to love them and include them wherever possible.
2: God uses life change because like the uh, man that I mentioned earlier, Tony, he had played church, but he did what he knew to do. And so now that he knows more, he is the the best advocate. And so now he is out sharing with uh, other men what God has done. So now those men are now interested where maybe they wouldn't have been earlier so life change is a great testimony sandy those that don't want to get into
7: discipleship movement um, is how god's using and growing my fruit of patience because <laughs> we've got to be patient i mean don't we mm-hmm. i mean because your first reaction is you want to just kind of thump them over the head with the bible and say get, get right well let's go you know but you just got to be patient and, and love them and, and a model for them. Uh, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to impress on the heart that this is something they need to be a part of and jump in and, and get after because it, it is a command, go make disciples, right? And so for me, it's, 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 it's pray, it's be patient with them. It's an encourager. I think it's one that just keep encouraging. Them. And I think sometimes you've got to bring a connector in their life that— as I said a I minute mean, ago, Dion, hey, Dion, won't you go talk to so-and-so and, and just, man, share your story. Because I know what I do as a pastor. As a pastor, here's what I do. When they don't want to get a, in a part of this movement, what I think in my mind is I grieve because I know what they're missing out on and the life that they can have that's abundant and full. And so that, that, that's really it for me. Just, just try to get them with a connector and have patience, love, model for them. And just try to encourage them along the way to be a a good chief cheerleader for them.
3: So that's really good. And uh, I I want to just remind all of us, and I have to remind myself of this a lot. uh, It is not my responsibility for the outcome. That belongs to the Holy Spirit. My responsibility is to be obedient. And open my mouth when he says open it and shut my mouth when he says shut it. Right. I don't know if anybody else has trouble with that right there, <laughs> but I have learned this. Here's a little trick I use. I'll share with you all my trick. When I feel like I need to say something to somebody, I'll pray and I'll ask God, is this a say moment or is this a pray moment? And then he'll he'll tell me, oh, you can go say, you can go say, or he'll say, uh-uh, "Uh-uh, you just pray. That's all I've called you to do right here. I'll let you see this. You go pray. So say or pray, which will it be? All right, I want to take a few minutes and see if you guys have any questions. Does anybody have questions?
2: I want to know how you get through the discouraging parts of this. Like, a lot of these stories are really encouraging, but, like, we all know the discouraging ones are the ones that get, like, two months in and then, like, fail. Like, how do y'all, as disciple-makers, push through that?
3: So the question is, how do you push through the wall of discouragement when you have somebody that you poured into for months or, in my case, years, and then they turn and walk away and say, I don't want any more of that, right? That's a hard piece. I'll answer it a minute, and then I'll see what our panelists say. I, I cry. It's okay to cry, right? No uh, doesn't matter if you're male or female uh, because it is sad, but I pray. And they go on my prayer list. They go on my permanent prayer list. And then that's the place where I have to go back and say, God, this is not my responsibility I've done. You show me, Lord, if there's something I've done or not done that caused that, that step away. But, God, if it's just their disobedience, I ask you to help me be a part of teaching them to be obedient.
7: Great question, PJ. Um, I have a pity party with God. I mean, just, you know, because I, I can just, one thing that I've realized um, that got really impressed me um, over COVID season, and I've said this to my church many times because I know this discipleship movement is not easy, mm-hmm. but all I can do is be Paul or Paul, so all, I, all I can do is plant water, and so what I keep, when I get to that place, all I say is plant water, plant water, plant water, plant water, plant water, right? And, and really, it's, it's, man, God's gonna do the growing. God's gonna be the one that's gonna impress on their hearts to do whatever they need to do. If they're gonna be disobedient, man, all I can do is walk alongside them. Um, we see people drift. Um, a part of my story is, man, I drifted when I was about 16 to about 25, 26, and that's part of my story. And I, and I, I really wanna go after that particular individual. And when um, and, and we do uh, the best we can, um, and, and then man, we just, we've got to give that to the Lord. It's in, in the hardest thing for me, can I, if I can be honest, anybody, if we can be honest in the room, I take it personal. I take it personal. And that's the hardest thing for me because I feel like I've invested, but it's not what I've done is, is I truly on the backside is I feel like, man, you're walking away from something or you're walk, if you'll just really confess and live and get through the With great joy, the trials and tribulations here, or just follow him no matter what, because I know how hard it is for me, and but I know what they're missing out on. But God really just whacks me on the head with a pity party, because I have one of those, and then usually God answers that prayer within five minutes of my pity party.
2: Quick thing here, though, for those that don't stick, there are those like Eddie that do stick. They are excited. They are growing. They're like a sponge. And so the, those are the, the, the ones that I look to when there are, are those that don't stick. So, yeah.
3: so in the Old Testament, when God did something amazing for the Israelites, he would often tell them to go build an altar. Right. And that is one of the things that he has taught me over the years is when he does something spectacular in somebody's life. I need to write that down. Because in those moments when I am so discouraged that I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And if if we can all be honest, we've all had those moments where we say, is it really worth it? And yes, it is. Because I go back and I look at the notebook that I have all of those stories written in of what God has done in me and what God has done through me. And I remember that he called me and it's worth it. It's worth every minute of, of the agony that we feel in the middle of that space. That's a good question. <laughs> All right, here we go. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he says that he um, he ministers in his neighborhood, which I love. I love that you're the welcome okay, committee okay. for the neighborhood. Amen. Yay, God, every neighborhood needs to have one. Um, but the question is, when he asks somebody how long they have walked with Christ, They say, since I was in my mother's womb. Tony's got this one.
2: In my own life, I I have had to unlearn to relearn. And so those people need someone who will be in relationship with them that will be real with them, but let them ask those hard questions. And so just walking with them slowly through God's Word, getting them in the Word, asking them if they would... Uh, spend time with you each week walking through, looking at God's word so they can then unlearn, so they can learn the truth. That
3: does sum it up. Right? You just have to ask the questions sometimes. Okay, how'd that work for you? Right? How did that work? Somebody over here have a question. In the back. In the, In the, back. Back. In the back. Okay, talk loud for me, please. Okay, so her question basically is, what um, what life stage do we approach? She's a young mom uh, with kiddos and um, and new to the idea of intentional discipleship, and and Jesus um, Jesus was intentional in his discipleship with his guys, right? That was an intentional, planned relationship uh, that went on for a good long while. Carmelita, you going to go? You, no, which don't. one of you? Okay.
6: okay. Great question. Right. Great place to be. Right. And I encourage you as you're in your space, as right. God has you in this, in this life stage of being a young mom mm-hmm. with little children, he has not forgotten you. He has you right where you are. I have discipled women, and they have come into groups in anywhere from their 20s into their 70s. So um, what I encourage women to do If they're married, young children, talk to your spouse. Mm -hmm. Pray over your schedule. Pray how God might have you adjust. Small, whatever small changes can happen, God will make a way. I work with women with whatever time Mm -hmm. that they can put into their schedule. We'll adjust times. We'll adjust readings. It doesn't have to be all crammed together. It can be spread out. There is a way. And when women see what you're doing in your life, and that what God and how he is transforming you and continue to lead you. Because as it's been said earlier, as we are leading others into, into a space for God to work in their lives, it's not just about them. It's also what God is doing in our lives as well. And they're going to see it because it will impact you, your family, your children. And this is Generational. This is this way generational and this way and long-term in every way.
5: Um, and that's a tough question, and it's a question that we all, as church leaders, should be thinking about and praying about. Like, what are the stages and what does it look like for each state, each person in our, our ministry, from those that are young moms and young families to um People who are single are older old, population. Old people. Just old, say, old people. <laughs> people that are older, like widows. They're lonely. And so what does that look like for all of them to be in a discipleship, to be in relationship with not just with God, but also with other people and having someone that's pointed to them in a in a in an intentional way. Um, I I will say the same thing. I will agree with Joy that it there's there's seasons of life and how that looks like. Um, I know that I had a couple of ladies that, um, they came to me and like, we, I, I want to be discipled. disciple. She has young children. I want to be discipled. Who can do that? And we uh, I found someone who had a flexible schedule. Their schedule flexes. So their day is not the same day. It's not the same time all the time. Nap time is a fantastic time. I know it may only be an hour or so and you're thinking, I got to do all these things to, to get this thing done. But just like Matthew 6 says. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. So seek first God wherever you can. And whoever's willing to spend the time, then take them up on that offer and say, okay, I have nap time on Tuesday. Or I have, when they go to their play group at this time? Or can I bring them along? And we, I've met with a lady at a park. Her kids are playing in the park. We have to get up, and she has to tell them not to do this or not to do that. Or, but we're watching them. We have eyes on them the whole time, but we're also having this
3: conversation and talking about this also, okay? Creative scheduling. That happens for all of us, right? In all all forms. I want to say thank you to our panel and I want to introduce you to our CEO, Dan Lights.
4: Uh, Before we close, one of the things that uh, we often get asked at the Bonhoeffer Project is, what do y'all do? What do you guys do again? Um, discipleship is one of those things it's a buzzword that uh, within the uh, disciple making in the church world we can say the same thing and just talk right past each other think of we're saying the same stuff um, most uh, churches most uh, I would say ministries that focus on discipleship and I, I'm a visual learner and this is what I what I came up with is um, a lot of these organizations that we have out here we partner with we do a lot of work with them there's a lot of people that go through our cohorts that use many of the tools that they have but Most churches, most people, maybe you were even sent here to do that, they look at discipleship as this. It's just a clip-on. It's an add-on light. It's something that you do for your ministry. Hey, I've got something good going on. Let me just clip that on right there, plug that in. That's not clipping. Uh, Plug and play, and that's just what we do. Kenny, I need to hold that. Um, But what we do is we give you the tools. We give you the tools necessary to make disciples in your own context in what you're doing. We do a 10-month cohort which is a group of people that get together. You get a cohort leader, and we get together with you to help you develop a plan. We go, as you can see from uh, all the literature that we have out there, we go upstream. We start talking about the gospel. Then we get into your definitions, and then we help you to develop a plan for making disciples in your own context. Now, some people say, "Well, well, Dan, aren't you complicating it? Aren't you just, don't you just need to get people into the Bible? Listen, discipleship is not complicated. People are. People are complicated, contexts are complicated. So whatever, it's from from senior pastors and senior leaders in organizations to someone who in their uh, hometown is just trying to welcome people into the neighborhood, right? There's all sorts of different contexts. And so what we do is we help you to develop a plan for making disciples in your current context. And it's a personalized approach, these great deep level, heart level questions that you can get into through this 10 months. So that's what we do. We got one last uh, main session to get to. Hope you guys uh, will get there. Thank you guys for coming out. And then we got one last track session. We'd love to see you here for that. God bless you guys. Thank you guys for coming out.
0: Thanks so much for listening today. That was great stuff from the Bonhoeffer Project. Next week, we've got another episode that features the Bonhoeffer Project in their final track session from last year's National Disciple Making Forum. As always, I appreciate you being a listener of the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure you check out discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free account today so you can start watching live webinars and seminars and gatherings there. All right, that's all I got for today. Have a great day, and I'll see you on the next episode.